Hello goblins and ghouls, and welcome to another episode of my Haunted Life podcast with me, your host, Angela Hartshorn. Really missed you guys last week. I'm mostly over my crud, but you can hear it, I bet. It's getting better, I swear. Right now I'm at the point where I'm just like healing up from everything, and that's just as obnoxious. Uh, if you didn't see the post on the Facebook page, I we did go and get our COVID test and everything came back negative. So it's just a really nasty crud. So I hope I don't sound too awful, but I'm better, I swear. This week I'm getting ready for Chicago Oddities and Curiosities Expo. I'm so excited. We actually leave tomorrow morning way too early. And we still haven't fully narrowed down what we're going in search of. I'm definitely hoping that me and Phelan are going to get a chance to go after Resurrection Mary. We're doing some, you know, mapping things out last night. So we'll see what happens. For the podcast, I'm getting ready for spooky season. I cannot believe that's already right around the corner. You guys, we're already basically in September. I I can't even see straight. I mean, it's always spooky around here, but you know what I mean. I'm working on Patreon-exclusive episodes starting soon. I'm hoping October 1st. Possibly sooner. We'll see. This week, I'm going across the pond, all the way to Scotland, to the shores of Loch Ness, known best for the cryptid that lives in its depth. The Loch Ness Monster, or Nessie, to her friends, has actually been spotted twice this last week. Twice. And it's very rare to have a sighting of her anymore, and now... The last couple weeks, there's been two. It's kind of a big deal. So it seems really appropriate to talk about the most notorious home in the Highlands, Boleskine House. Boleskine House is probably most infamous because Aleister Crowley once owned the home where he practiced one of his most famous rituals where he attempted to summon the 12 kings of hell. The house was later owned by Led Zeppelin guitarist Jimmy Page. And I love me some Led Zeppelin. But the house has always had a dark history. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea, make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you.
The ruins of the once great Boleskine House stand on the eastern shore of Loch Ness. In 2015, and then again in 2019, the house was ravaged by fire, now being a mere skeleton of what it once was. Stories about darkness in the area predated the construction of the house. Christianity came to the area in the 6th and 7th centuries. Chapels were built, farms were established. In the 13th century, it came under the Diocese of Moray when the Church of Rome began expanding into the Scottish Highlands, and a kirk, or church, was built with a little graveyard. It is believed there was an earlier church on the grounds since the area was named Drum Temple which translates to the ridge of the church. The land was governed by a succession of ministers well into the 17th century. One of these ministers, a Thomas Houston, was said to contend with a wizard, or in old Scottish, which I am horribly going to butcher, a Cruner for seal, which translates to Fraser Crowner or Maker of Circles. The wizard would raise the dead from their graves, and the minister was charged with hastily laying the corpses back to rest. He also had to deal with Loch Aber robbers armed with naked swords and dirks. I have no idea what kind of robber that is, but I was amused. Another legend says a medieval church once stood where Boleskin House now stands. With the entire congregation inside, the church mysteriously caught fire. When the people inside tried to escape, they found that there was no way out and the whole congregation perished in the church fire. A lot of those people are said to be buried in the little graveyard nearby. And yet another legend says that the small graveyard near the property reportedly was used by witches to congregate and do black magic. There is said to be a tunnel between the house and the graveyard that later Aleister Crowley supposedly used to go out for his own nighttime rituals. These tunnels, if they existed, could possibly have been an escape route for the church or an entry point into the house used by the gentry who owned the house. Not terribly uncommon, but very sinister sounding. Many other ministers oversaw different construction projects and military affairs. During this time, it seems as though the church fell into disrepair and the church was moved elsewhere in the area. Bishop Forbes visited the Old Kirk at Boleskine in 1762 and described it as the poorest edifice of any kind I have ever looked upon, as is also the Mens. 
The churchyard is quite open without any walls where you can see plenty of human bones above ground and the floor of the kirk is overspread with them. Dogs are seen carrying away the human bones in their teeth. The mense is a low, pitiful thatched house without one bit of glass in the windows having wooden boards or shutters. I had to look up what Mentz meant, and it's just the home of the minister attached to the property. The land was eventually sold to a private owner. The first private owner was Archibald Campbell Fraser of Levat from 1736 to 1815. He had served as a British consul in Tripoli and Algiers and would serve as MP for Inverness Shire in Parliament, which is that general area. He commissioned the Boleskine House to be built as a manor estate for a hunting lodge in the late 18th century, although it was not finished until 1809. It was a one-story mansion with four bedrooms, four bathrooms, a huge drawing room, dining room, library, and various smaller rooms. Archibald was the second son of the better-known Simon Fraser, 11th Lord Lovat, who was nicknamed The Fox, who was notoriously known to play both sides during the Jacobite uprisings in the 18th century, who was notoriously absent from the Battle of Clanodon. I know how to say that properly, but it's not working right now. With his fellow Frasers, and who was later captured and executed for treason at the Tower of London. Archibald outlived all of his sons, so the house would later pass to his grandson, Archibald T. F. Fraser, and the state remained in the ownership of the Fraser family until 1894. After this, its most notorious resident moved in. Of course, the most notorious resident of Boleskine House was Alistair Crowley, the one and only. He owned the house between 1899 and 1913. Crowley was a complicated man. He was best known as an occultist, poet, and a member of the Golden Dawn. During World War I, he wrote anti-British propaganda he was also an experienced climber and was part of the ill-fated attempt to scale K2 in modern-day Pakistan in 1902. I personally did not know he was a mountaineer until I started researching Boleskine House, but every Scottish paper I read had him as a mountaineer. I was amused. I had to share. I don't want to go into Crowley's biography too much because we could literally be here all day. 
So I'm just going to focus on his time at Boleskine House. So Crowley, aged just 25, bought Boleskine in 1899 for 2,000 pounds, twice the market value of the day, from a Mary Rose Hill Burton. After looking for the right location to carry out a series of rituals from the secret book of Abramelin. The book is said to date back to the 15th century. Egyptian Kabbalist Abramelin the Mage and his pupil Abraham of Forbes in Germany. On the banks of the Nile of Atachi? Atrachi? Abraham found Abramelin, who agreed that if he served and feared God and followed his holy law, Abramelin would teach him his magic and divine science that was in the manuscripts in Abramelin's care. Crowley believed that this would help him conjure his holy guardian angel, called the Abramelin Operation. This ritual is supposed to inspire change in one's life through knowledge from conversation with one's guardian angel. It is overly a positive ritual. The trick is, however, to do this, Crowley would have to invoke and bring under his control the 12 kings of hell. The ritual starts during Easter, so in the meantime, Crowley kind of partied, entertained guests, and got the house ready. The ritual is supposed to last six months, and during that time, he had to live off of only bread and water. He had to get up at 3 a.m. to begin the invocations and strictly adhere to abstinence abstinence. He reportedly required a house in a more or less secluded situation with a door that opened to the north from where the oratory could be delivered. Outside the door, he constructed a terrace covered with fine river sand that ends in a lodge where the spirits are to congregate. From there, Crowley planned to banish the demons once they had been summoned to the terrace, which would be covered in the fine river dust. The fine river dust was to see the footsteps left from the spirits. You knew they were around. There's like a simple elegance in that, and I like it. Crowley, who at this time styled himself Lord of Belaskin and Abertaf wrote that the demons and evil forces had congregated round me so thickly that they were shutting off the light. It was a comforting situation. There could be no more doubt of the efficiency of the operation. According to Crowley, he started creating talismans found in the back of the book of Abermelon in one of the front rooms of the house overlooking Loch Ness. 
as he did so. Though it was a bright and sunny day, the room started to darken. He had to gather more candles, and as he began to chant, the room grew darker still, and the shadows were seen on the terrace. Crowley wrote that the demons and evil forces had congregated around him so thickly that they were shutting off the light. He literally said, the demons and evil forces had congregated around me so thickly they were shutting off the light. It was a comforting situation. There could be no more doubt of the efficiency of the operation. Crowley was almost completely secluded since most of his friends thought he was taking this way too far. One of his friends came to visit, a Raska, only after a couple weeks into the ritual. And they ended up fleeing in the middle of the night. Crowley was notified of this at breakfast the next morning. They didn't even say goodbye to their friend, they just left. And Crowley's staff had to tell him. One day, Crowley came home to find a Catholic priest in his study. According to the priest, the day before, one of Crowley's employees around the house, who had stopped drinking many years before, became came home belligerently drunk and attempted to kill his wife and children. This is a story from Crowley's diary. His lodge keeper, Hugh Gilly, lost suddenly lost two of his children under unexplained circumstances. A housemaid is said to have gone mad with a local butcher cutting off his hand while dealing with Crowley's order. One day, only two months into the ritual, remember, this was supposed to last six, Crowley received a letter from his mentor and friend Samuel Mathers letting him know that the Golden Dawn had fractured into two separate factions and he was afraid of being usurped and asked for immediate assistance. Crowley packed his bags at once and left, breaking the ritual. Crowley intended to return and finish the ritual, but he never did, and he instead ended up in Mexico. When you summon spirits for help or knowledge, you need to banish them after the fact, and Crowley never did that. It is said that a black cloud could be seen above Boleskine House for months after he left. The locals would avoid the house at all costs, some traveling the entire circumference of Loch Ness instead of having to pass it. Many people believed that the unfinished ritual left Crowley open to demonic possession, that the twelve kings of hell were able to manipulate him, causing his downfall later in life. Increasing financial problems forced Crowley to sell Boleskine by 1918.
Boleskine was then registered in the ownership of Dorothy C. Priestley. Priestley? Plans were introduced in 1926 to make significant alterations and extensions to Boleskine House. However, these plans never happened. Couldn't find out why. Boleskine House passed through a series of owners after Presley, including being purchased by Foyer's Hotel Limited in 1944, then to a David Shirley Creton Simpson, it's a lot, in 1946, who a year later sold the property to a John Robert Rankin Billerton of Noblethorpe, Burnsley, Yorkshire. I couldn't find out why there were so many owners. It was kind of intense. It just seemed to hop. In 1960, a major Edward Grant bought the home. One day, his housekeeper, Anna McLearn, came to work at the home. She was met on the path by the major's dog, carrying what looked to be a bone, but knew nothing like that would be found in the house, so she threw it away. When she entered the house, she found Major Edward Grant in front of a mirror with a shotgun by his side. His head was nearly completely gone. The bone the dog had been playing with was a part of Major Edward's skull. He was in the front bedroom that had been used by Crowley for his rituals. I could not find if there was a suicide note. Boleskin House next came into the ownership of Mary Bright Grant, otherwise known as Mary Lorraine, in 1960, right after Major Edward Grant. It is alleged that while at an art expedition in Inverness, Mary Lorraine met Molly Lorraine. Unrelated. The latter, who was fascinated by Boleskine's mysterious lore, decided she wanted to buy the property. When she met Mary, who shared her surname, it was too strange of a coincidence, and she was able to convince her husband, Dennis Henry Lorraine, to purchase the property in 1963. The Rains were looking for property in the Scottish Highlands with the intent to use the land as a pig-rearing operation. However, in reality, Lorraine, who was by now a career con man was establishing a small pig feeding farm in Boleskine as a ruse for the ongoing catechose scandal. In 
further south in Glenrothes. This is so much fun. The Catico Affair, also known as the Great Sausage Scandal, is a bizarre tale of how Dennis Lorraine and actor George Sanders managed to embezzle millions of pounds in government grants under the pretense of meeting a national shortage of pork products. It might be one of the weirdest stories associated with Bleskin House, so I included a link in the show notes for anyone who might want to read more about it. By the time the law had caught up with Lorraine, he had sold Bleskin House and fled to the United States. It was sold to Halbert Kerr, who ran Boleskine House as a guest house from 16, I'm sorry, from 1967 to 1971. Led Zeppelin, guitarist, producer, and collector of Cradley memorabilia, Jimmy Page was the next owner of Boleskine House in 1971. Page sought to remodel the house with a Crowley-like theme and even used it as a backdrop in the documentary The Song Remains the Same, which is about the band touring the U.S. and delving into their personal characters. Jimmy Page, of course, was the wizard. And I posted this video in the Facebook group for anyone wanting to go back and watch it. Page claimed bad vibes ran through Boleskine House, where he maintained that the head of an executed man, way back when, believed to be Lord Lavette, the fox who was executed for treason at the Tower of London, could be heard rolling around the floor. Despite this, Paige spent actually very little time at the house itself, instead asking trusted friends of his to occupy and watch over the house. Those who watched over the property for Paige include Eric Hill, Barston Colby, and Malcolm Dent. Jimmy Page only visited there a few times, but Dent became a caretaker and the family lived there for 20 years, very happily from all accounts. Mr. Dent described himself as a skeptic, but said that there were things at Boleskine that just could not be explained. He says, Doors would be slamming all night. You'd go into a room and carpets and rugs would be piled up or like rolled up. Another regular occurrence was that the back door, inside doors, and kitchen doors would suddenly spring open as if somebody was running through them, even on calm weather days. On one occurrence, Mr. Dent woke up to what sounded like something like a big 
dog sniffing around his bedroom door. And he's kind of groggy, you know. He's being woken up by this. He's in bed. What was strange to him was the noise kept growing louder and louder. When Dent turned on the light in the room, the door started rattling. Usually when you turn on the light in a horror movie, the paranormal activity is supposed to cease, not get worse. I don't know how, but he was able to get up and go to the door. And when he grabbed the handle and swung the door open, there was nothing and all was quiet. It seemed, however, that the most annoying occurrence for the Dents were the Crowley and Page bands that would attempt to come up to the house to look around, which apparently happened frequently. And I assume a lot of the occurrences were attributed to. Page sold Boleskine to Ronald and Annette McGillivray in 1992. The McGillivrays, MacGillivrays, were related to the original Frasers, so Ronald sought to reestablish Boleskine as a Fraser estate once more. Some may share memories of gatherings in the gardens of Boleskine House while traditional bagpipes played for merry parties. They reported no strange occurrences. Upon Ronald's passing, Mrs. MacGillivray sold Boleskine in 2002 to Tennis Gillifren and Gertrudia Johan, Johanna Baker who occupied the house as a holiday home away from their native Netherlands. It has signs to the driveway entrance, making it very clear that Boleskine is a strictly private property. And those seeking to glimpse the place would not be welcome. They also do not report any weird occurrences. In December 2015, their daughter and her partner came to the house to spend the Christmas holiday. They had left to go so buy supplies in the early afternoon on the 23rd. A motorist saw the flames and called police, and multiple crews battled the fire until the next morning. It said that the flames reached up to 20 feet high. By the next day, 60% of the house had been incinerated. The fire is determined not to be set intentionally, but the cause is still a mystery. It did, however, make the house uninhabitable. In April 2019, Boleskine House was put on the market. It was purchased in the following July and the Boleskine House Foundation SCIO 
was established shortly after. According to their website, with the Boleskin land now disposed into the ownership of the charity, it is intended that the Boleskin house will remain a charitable cause for years, decades, and centuries to come. The website is jammed packed full of information, a lot of which I used for my research for this episode. There's so much going on. They are even teaching what they call heritage skills. So it almost sounds like it's going to be a little living history area as well, which is pretty awesome. You can help donate to renovations of the house and you can even purchase a bit of the house. Literally, you can buy charred wood or slate or not charred sandstone and granite from the house, from the actual house, like literally a bit of the house. Don't get me wrong. I would love to be able to visit Boleskin House one day, but I'm not sure if I would buy a piece of the burned wood. My, my, my mind goes to the stone tape theory and the idea of energy being trapped in organic material like wood or stone and replaying itself over and over so it's like a residual haunting basically that you carry with you or like the Hawaiian volcano where you aren't supposed to take the rocks from because you start having bad luck and I can't help but wonder if Boleskin House gets any of their rocks back in the mail You just never know if one of those 12 kings of hell came along with it. everyone out there listening today make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode if you like the show please tell your friends and family about it word of mouth goes a long way most of my research came from the Boleskin House Foundation website but the rest of my sources I'll have in the show notes If you have a ghost story to share, don't forget to drop me a line at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com. Never know, you might make it onto a full episode. You can also follow My Haunted Life Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Don't forget that we have a My Haunted Life Podcast Facebook group with the most up-to-date information. I also just did 
Twitter again, but I can't remember what the handle is. The things you probably shouldn't do when you're sick. If you like what you hear and want to support the show, please subscribe to the Patreon page. All the research and everything takes a lot of time and I'm getting into my busy season. So we'll see how well I do staying up on it. But it would be really cool if the podcast paid for itself. You can support the show for as little as $2 a month. And that's it for this show. I'll see you all next week on my Haunted Life podcast. And until then, stay spooky.